Hello, and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. On today's show, ETF strategist Etienne Yonkis Bouchard speaks to host Brian Borskowski about the ETF landscape for 2023 and what factors could thrive in the first half of the year and beyond. Etienne briefly looks back on 2022, noting that this past December encompassed the best month of ETF flows in Canada, wrapping up a pretty solid year. As 2023 continues to move along, Etienne says there are some things to keep an eye on, including international equity markets. This category saw inflows of about $500 million, and it's a category that has been underappreciated. He says it will be interesting to see how it continues in 2023. Other trends to watch for ESG ETFs. Etienne says there was a lot of resilience in this category last year. Now in 2023, there is some pushback around ESG. Something to keep an eye on and see if investors will continue to have an appetite for this like they did last year. Etienne also speaks about Fidelity all-in-one ETFs and what factors to consider in this type of investment approach. This podcast was recorded on February 3rd, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Before we uh, move into the new year, how did 2022 finish in terms of ETF flows and just kind of, you know, the ETF space in general? Yeah, actually, so December was, I believe, and I, you know, I, this is something I, I've picked up is it's the... It was the best month for ETF flows in Canada to end the year in December. It actually wrapped up a fairly solid year, just showing the the sheer resiliency of the Canadian ETF market in terms of flows, uh, with about $35 billion in net new assets entering the space uh, in 2022. That's actually good for the third best year on record, uh, 2021 being uh, the record year, and then 2020 being, I guess, number two. So this is the third best year, I guess, three consecutive really strong years of flows uh, albeit last year compared to you know the two previous ones, much more challenging from a performance perspective, uh, you know across the board as much on the fixed income side as on the equity side. Uh, a few other you know interesting tidbits that I found from uh, last year was uh, bond ETFs actually outselling equity ETFs, which is quite surprising given it was probably the worst calendar year for bonds in more than 30, 30, 40 years maybe. Um, so that was quite interesting. Little caveat there. It was actually the emergence of uh, a category that's been around for a while, but received a lot of inflows, which is the cash alternative space. It received about 8.9, billion, let's call it 9 billion of flows last year. Good for about half the total, uh, a bit more than half the total in all fixed income space. So Yes, there was buying of bonds, but there was also a lot of, of kind of hedging out and going to safety, just you know, no, no duration exposure, sitting on the sidelines and benefiting from higher interest rates. So earnings, you know, north of 3% for the majority of the year in those types of products. But 
you know, as we roll around to 2023, that does seem like it's a flow through vehicle, right? I don't think anybody's invested in cash for the very long term. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how that moves throughout the year. Like if there's outflows there into something else, but actually to start the year, it's continued a little bit. Um, so positive there also. But, uh, you know, those are some of the main things that we saw last year. Um, just on, just before we move into this year, what, do, what, do, what does it say about the Canadian ETF landscape that we, after this crazy volatile year, uh, we saw, you know, AUM was above $300 billion for the second time in a row. Um, and, and that December number that you mentioned, why is the market so resilient? And, and why are people kind of continuing to put money in when you see all of this volatility? That's, it's a great question. I think it's it's one of the reasons is that there's just so many great alternatives, uh, right? So there's so many different tools that are available out there to investors. So regardless of what you're trying to achieve in your portfolio construction and or, or which exposure you're trying to get, there's likely an ETF for that, right? And I think that's one of the main reasons. The second is, I mean, for, for the most part, uh, if you look at like the total assets, about 65% of total assets are in passive strategies, which also means lower fees in, in nature. And I think when, um, you know, markets are volatile and, you know, performance is tougher, you know, maybe investors say, oh, one way I can mitigate some of this downside is if I can lower my fee. I think that's also driving it. But for the most part, I think it's just the, 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 the amount of choice that we have there for investors. Um, and, uh, and so, um, moving into January, um, num numbers just came out, um, moving into January numbers just came out. Uh, what, what are you seeing there? Um, a little bit different than December from what I've, what I've looked at. Yes. So actually, so December was like close to 8 billion in flows, which is crazy. Uh, January was actually the first negative month since last June. Uh, so about 500 million or 340 million in outflows, I mean, it's not a, I don't think it's a, a cause for concern, uh, but it definitely shows that, you know, maybe, uh, you know, kind of a wait and see approach. And I think that's going to be the theme of, you know, for the rest of the discussion when we're talking about the, you know, where we are in the cycle and, you know, things to consider for this year is that it's, it's fairly tough to have a really high conviction view right now, I think. And I, I think that's showing up in the flows. One thing that I, that I did notice, though, which was interesting, is coming off of the really like, uh, strong performance uh, in international equity markets last year, you saw inflows. So about 500 or so million dollars of inflows into international equity ETFs, which is uh, you know, a category I think that's been underappreciated given it's been tougher from a performance perspective. I'm going to be interested to see if that continues, right? A bit of, you know, selling of the U.S. and, and Canada, maybe to go to international, which also includes emerging markets for the most part. Um, so that's a category to watch out for. The other one that was slightly positive, albeit, you know, the, the aggregate number being negative was multi-asset ETFs, which we'll have a chance to talk about with the all-in-ones here at Fidelity. But I think that category, uh, which is basically those kind of turnkey, simple solutions, I think there's a lot of you know, advisors and investors looking for those types of solutions where, you know, let's not make a big call on the market. Let's get a very diversified basket and, and, and kind of go, uh, go from there. The, any, anything else within those numbers, um, you, we were talking about sort of the inflows, what categories did you see outflows from? Yes, from a broad perspective, both bonds and equities were, were in outflows. Uh, you saw a little bit of selling of the cash alternatives, but depending on which product itself, it was actually close to flat, uh, which is, uh, was interesting. The rest is, 
you know, selling of U.S. and Canadian broad equity, you know, ETFs, right? So just taking maybe a bit of beta off. It, it, it's kind of tough to, I think we don't have enough data with one month to really see an actual trend happening. Um, so yeah, so a bit of a, a snooze, snooze fest, if you will, for January. <laughs> so, so when we look into 2023, so, you know, um, more maybe broadly in different categories, um, are there trends that you're watching out for to see, um, you know, that, that could have new products or just interest from investors? What trends mm-hmm, might, mm-hmm. might sort of materialize over the next, uh, you know, 11 more months? Yeah. That's a, that's a great question, actually, uh, Brian. It's, you know, one of the things that we saw a lot of resiliency in last year was ESG uh, ETFs. And, and now with, you know, you're, you're getting kind of this pushback in certain places around ESG, uh, you know, about the way that it's categorized. Uh, you know, should we favor, you know, certain companies over another based on, on their environmental social governance impact, you know. Uh, I'm not going to get into that debate, but it's it, we saw we actually saw positive flows last year, albeit a lot of the strategies are kind of tech focused or growth focused, so it lagged last year, but flows were positive. I'm interested to see what happens to that category this year, and if there's still continued appetite from investors. Um, that's one thing I'm kind of keeping an eye on. Uh, also, seeing when we see more of a uh, of a move away from the cash stuff which i was mentioning earlier into maybe longer duration type bond mandates as as you know i mean yields have already come down uh quite handily since last october if you look in canada and the us so you've had a good rally in bond markets but you haven't really seen uh investors take advantage of that if you will uh obviously i mean a lot of people held bonds right but you haven't seen like a massive rotation back uh to to fixed income securities so those are i'd say the just two or three that that I'm keeping an eye on for now. Great. I mean, my opening talked about a little bit about so the economic picture. Um, and so we've seen, you know, rates rising uh, both in Canada and the U.S. Job numbers still pretty positive in both countries. Um, yeah. And, you know, ISM numbers that are coming out that are, are a bit all over the place. It's very confusing, I will have to say, um, <laughs> as someone who is like, you know, yeah. watching this a little bit, like I, I sort of waiting for this recession or something to happen and we want to get mm-hmm. past something. What is your view on kind of what's happening now and how is that affecting, do you think, the ETF landscape? I, I, I think I'm kind of in the same camp as you, Ryan, is that I'm getting these like there's a lot of mixed signals out there. Um, so you saw, you know, the ISM manufacturing report in the U.S. for, for January actually, you know, con- contract even more than it did in December. But then you saw services come out today and completely blow expectations out of the water. Uh, you know, going back into expansion mode, you're seeing comments around supply chains easing, pricing pressures coming down. Uh, you're seeing new orders pick up in certain segments, you know, with the one exception maybe being housing, which is continuing to, uh, to I guess, be hindered by, by higher mortgage rates and things like that. Um, so it, it's, it's kind of tough to get, once again, this like very clear picture. One thing I think that's fairly obvious and it's you're being you're hearing it from the central from central banks. You're hearing it from a lot of our um you know, in-house macro people at Fidelity, you know, inflation seems to have peaked, uh, which is, you know, I think probably positive news for 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 for, all, for, for most. Um, so so it's going to be interesting to see what happens next with regards to to the economy from so from a GDP growth perspective, and then how that flows through earnings, which is you know when we're talking about you know ETFs, equities, uh, you know mostly equities especially, but then obviously that that has ramifications on the credit market. You know, where are where's earnings growth going? And, and right now, it seems like the market is 
pricing in a soft landing. And, you know, yes, we're going to have a slow, yeah, we're seeing a slowdown already in growth. We're not necessarily going to have a very deep contraction. That's kind of the base case that the market's running on with, you know, if you look, I was looking at it earlier before we got on the call, uh, you know, the consensus estimate by analysts, you know, uh, surveyed by, uh, by Bloomberg, or that they have posted, you know, earnings expectations for the S&P 500. They're still expecting, you know, high single digit growth for the year, uh, for the calendar year 2023, around eight, eight and something percent. You know, from our perspective, that seems like it's a little bit optimistic. So maybe, you know, we'll take the side of being a little bit more cautious or a little bit more defensive uh, in saying that, uh, you know, we, we feel like that the, we're definitely in that late cycle phase and we could potentially see some type of, of recessionary environment sometime uh, this year. So, you know, from your from your job, uh, looking at the ETF landscape, what like what, what does that uh, impact ETFs? I mean, we've seen last year, it's all over the place and ETF inflows still did well. Um, so how does that affect maybe where people are going to invest? So this is not so much as to say how the ETF industry flows are going to go, but more how certain styles are likely to perform in, in, in the current environment. And uh, you know, if you look at the late cycle and recessionary periods, the more defensive factors like quality and low volatility tend to be the better performers. And momentum also, I, I'd ask, add an asterisk, if you will, to momentum, because as, you know, say low volatility stocks and sectors like consumer staples and, you know, utilities and things like that start to work. So momentum starts to transform itself into into that type of, of factor or style. And you've already started to see that happening with the performances we saw last year. So it's like a combination of value and low vol right now. Uh, so th those factors tend to do well. You know, historically, the, the excess returns that we find in various ISM scenarios really concord with that chart, with that, which is fairly theoretical. So if you look at, you know, for example, value, when things are getting better and they're expanding, that's usually when value does really well. So if you take 2020 and 2021, for example, you know, you either started in 2020 with uh, an ISM below 50 and rising, and then you moved into 2021 with above 50 and rising. So basically things were contracting and, and then going at a slower, contracting at a slower and slower pace until a point where they were expanding and then started to expand at a faster pace. But what we saw last year was actually above 50. So we were still expanding, but at a slowing pace. And as of December, uh, you know, so for both services and manufacturing, we were actually below 50 and falling. And then services just completely messed up our thesis <laughs> and bounced back, uh, you know, for January. But manufacturing still still is in that falling trend, but below 50. And you can see that momentum, quality and low vol are the factors that tend to have the highest annualized excess returns over a benchmark during those periods. Uh, so those are some of the factors that we're keeping an eye out for. It emphasizes defense a little bit, trying to find, you know, stocks that have lower variability of their earnings, if that makes sense, right? Like they don't want to, you don't want stocks that are necessarily as dependent on the macro environment. So taking away a bit of cyclicality, which has actually helped in the past year because it was most of the cyclicals were trading at a discount to the broad market. So less sensitive to higher rates. It's a different story a little bit this year. Can you just walk us through the factors a bit and, uh, um, just, just to make sure everyone understands, you know, what are the factors and, and why, why is this uh, investing approach? Why are you interested in factors? I think it's quite fascinating. And, you know, obviously call me biased. That's, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's my job. I'm prescribed to know these factors and these models, but 
a, a factor, you know, in a simple way is, is, is just trying to pick stocks based on fundamental characteristics, but doing in a systematic way. So instead of having a portfolio manager that's doing this on, you know, uh, an active basis every day, you know, looking at stocks, look, look, running through financial statements, you know, running their own, mo- you know, uh, fundamental models on cash flows and things like that. We rely on more simple ratios to uh, transact and to purchase stocks or to sell stocks. And, you know, there's various different factors that have shown over time that if we select stocks based on certain characteristics, it actually helps or allows us to add value relative to a market cap weighted index. So, you know, if you take value, for example, it's a very, fairly straightforward example, I think, and fairly easy to understand. So let's go with that one. We're picking stocks based on the price to tangible book. We're picking stocks based on the forward PE, EV to EBITDA, free cash flow yield. Those are four metrics that have different iterations of value for a given stock. And then we want the best ones. So we look at a large investment universe, get create a concentrated portfolio systematically, um, and offer you exposure to cheap companies. And it applies for all these other factors like low volatility, which is basically picking stocks that display low volatility in price, in earnings, and things like that. So, you know, it, it, it's it's kind of a hybrid, right, between full-on active management and passive management where, you know, you're not passive, you're not doing anything, and active, you're doing a heck of a lot of stuff. We're, we're doing, you know, some stuff, but we're not, you know, going as granular as meeting the management teams, for example. I mean, so... Um how would maybe advisors use these different kinds of ETFs? So I, we'll talk about the all-in-ones, but you you can, um, you know, pick and choose different factors. As you said, some will outperform in, in different environments. So how should advisors maybe approach these different factors? It's a great question. And I think it's, uh, there's, there's multiple use cases. And I'd say, I guess, I don't want to get this wrong. Let's say, let's say three. I'll try to knock the three, three there and at least make it to three. The first is definitely from a tactical standpoint. So you want to make, you want it to uh, express a view that you have on markets by focusing on a given type of companies. So, for example, you know you want to you want to reduce the average valuation in your portfolio. So, take away maybe a bit of the you know the growth exposure. Well, you add in from a tactical perspective to get some ideally strategic alpha. So, trying not necessarily to time the market, but to get exposure to a given type of stock that is likely to benefit in the current phase of the market cycle. So basically doing what we were just talking about with regards to, okay, maybe it's time to add a bit of quality or low volatility to the portfolio. That's a tactical trade. The second is a strategic exposure. So to say, for example, and this is, I think, specifically true for a factor like momentum, which is very hard to tactically time because it's continually changing, but you believe and you've seen over time that these models have added value. So you're saying, Yes, it's likely going to underperform in certain periods. It's going to out, outperform in others. But if I invest in with this factor for the very long term, I'm likely to capture some type of annualized alpha. And this goes back to academia, right? Like there's a lot of academic research done on this. There's a lot of, inter- obviously, you know, we're doing our own research here at Fidelity um, and, and basically saying I'm buying this and I'm holding for the long term. And the third, so I made it I got to the third portfolio construction, which is I'm literally using this as a counterweight to something else. So the way that, you know, maybe from an advisor perspective that I've seen this a lot is, let's say uh, you're, you know, discretionary advisor and you're picking your own dividend stocks. 
right? Like you, you, you go in and pick, you know, a basket, five, 10, 15, 20, 25 stocks in the Canadian market that are paying above average dividends. And that's kind of your strategy. You want to, you know, generate some income. Well, that's going to put you into a certain basket, right? So to counter that exposure, you buy something like a quality, which doesn't really look at payout, but looks more at earnings and profitability. So you're going to get different sector exposures. You're going to get, you know, uh, different single stock exposure and really using that as a, as a, as a diversifier, if you will. Those are the three main ones, but it really is up to the way that it depends on the way that you manage your portfolios. And, and, you know, I think there's a way to approach it for, for everyone. But you could also, if you didn't want to uh, do this all yourself, there are other options. As you mentioned, the multi-asset uh, ETFs are, are doing well and have done well over the years. And Fidelity has all-in-one ETFs, uh, ETF portfolios. Maybe talk about the all-in-ones. What are they um, and how do they work? And then, you know, we can talk about how advisors can use them. This is kind of the culmination of four years work by our team. And I know I repeat that often, but it's, it's you know, there's a lot of product launches that went into this for us to have enough tools to create these fully diversified solutions and strategies uh, that give you broad market exposure. They're strategically diversified. So from, from, you know, from, a ge- from a geographic perspective, from a sector perspective, from a market cap perspective, asset class, you name it, you know, we're trying to build an all-weather portfolio at a low cost, which is also you know, something that's important to us given we're in the ETF landscape and we're, we're competing against full-on passive management. These are not passive. Right. This is something that, yes, you're getting very broad exposure, but you got about 2000 to 2500 total holdings compared to, say, a 20,000 holding portfolio for uh, uh, for most competitors in the passive space, whether it's Vanguard, iShares, BMO, you know, you name it. Their strategies tend to have a lot of, uh, you know, very, 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 very broad exposure and not giving you an opportunity to add value. That's really what we're trying to do with these is combine our various equity factors, which once again, like you mentioned, Brian, if you don't want to be picking these individual factors and changing them depending on where we're in the cycle and all that stuff, well, here you're getting an equal weight approach. You get low vol, quality, momentum, value. You want to capture that strategic alpha over time, which is, you know, on average for the US market, for example, at around 1.8% when you combine them all together. So if you can capture that, you combine that with active fixed income in our global multi-sector bond ETF, and our Canadian bond ETF, as well as a sleeve of cryptocurrencies, which is an an addition that we made uh, a year ago. All that together, I think you get a very solid, uh, you know, simplified, automatically rebalanced solution. I think this is a great tool, uh, you know, for for those RSP contributions or or RESPs, uh, TFSAs that you're, you know, you're kind of dealing with right now and you're not too sure where to put it. You know, this is a very good, simple, diversified solution. So on the, on the factor component there, um, how do you, are you actively changing the factors as uh, we move through different cycles in those ETFs? We, we, we don't, uh, which is, so there, there's a few reasons for that. First of all, is cost. Um, you know, that, that's something that, that is costly to do. And, and it's also fairly challenging, right? So, you know, albeit, you know, I was talking about defense earlier. Uh, you know, if we do see a soft landing, you know, and maybe value picks up, right? And and so it's 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 fairly tough to do. Uh, and you know, ideally, we would have liked to have a, an algorithm that tells us, okay, when you see this signal, you buy this, and that doesn't exist, unfortunately. Um, so from that, uh, and then you you take on a, a portfolio construction perspective, and you're saying, I want to get the best risk adjusted return. And if you look at an equal weighted factor portfolio, 
the volatility of that, given the, the diversification effect, it gives you actually actually a lower standard deviation than if you buy it the low vol as a standalone, which is the lowest volatility factor out there, right? That's that's what it's designed to do. So the diversification effect of having all four really creates a strong sharp ratio. So that's the idea there. And then what we do, you know, we start the year, you know, you know, a quarter each, and we let them drift throughout the year, unless from an asset class perspective. So let's say you start with the balance FBAL, which is a 60-40, you get to 65-35 from an equity fixed income perspective, then we'll rebalance to make sure you're, you know, we're respecting your clients risk uh, profiles and things like that. But we're not necessarily going to play around with the factors, you know, th there is momentum that builds over uh, a period of time. Um, I mean, you mentioned RSP season. I, mean, I can't believe it's already February, but, um, <laughs> you know, if somebody has an advisor, maybe has built um, an ETF portfolio with separate ETFs, is interested in an all-in-one, um, how do you then maybe transition from kind of the portfolio that you've built into mm -hmm. an all-in-one ETF? Mm, that's, a, that's a good question, actually. Uh, so... I guess I'll bring it to you to like different use cases that I've seen, uh, you know, in, in working with advisors uh, across the country, which is one of the great privileges of, of my jobs. I get to meet with advisors in BC and, you know, Newfoundland and, you know, Quebec, Ontario. And, and the way that these are impl implemented are actually fairly similar across, you know, the board. And but you do see a few differences. And the first one is you see these being used as a standalone core exposure. Like literally, this is the one holding in a portfolio. At the end of the day, yes, it shows up as one ticker or, or code because these are available in Series B and Series F. So for any MFD advisor online, these are available to you also. But you have 13 to 15 underlying ETFs in there. So it's fully diversified. You can use it as a single standalone. So in that case, in your, in your example, you, know, you could literally sell all the different lines and buy one single line and simplify your job and make it you know, a smooth ride also for your investor because they see the return of the total package instead of all the individual lines where you might have one or two that are not doing well and one or two that are doing exceptional and then asking, oh, can I get more of the one that's doing well and can I get less of the one that's not doing well? You're exposing yourself to a bit of that, which is twofold because sometimes you, know, you wanna have multiple lines to kind of show you know, this is what we're doing with the portfolio. We're adding various pieces and things like that, which is the second way that we've seen them used as kind of like a core. And then you build satellite positions around it, right? So you get, you know, extra little exposures. Maybe I add a little 5% of an EM ETF. Maybe I add, uh, you know, a few uh, 10 stocks for uh, Canadian market to overweight Canada a little bit. Uh, so things like that. But you either as a core and then satellite or full on, that's the only solution. What are your thoughts on sector investing? There's a similar way to think about sector investing than there is with factor investing, right? So, you know, certain sectors are going to do well in certain phases of the market cycle, um, but it's going to give you a bit more concentration if, if, that, if I can be fairly blunt, right? So if you're buying an energy ETF, for example, you know, that's, that's one sector exposure. And if things, you know, and we know, you know, for example, that's maybe not the best example because it's fairly cyclical, right? And fairly high beta, but, you know, it, it, it can work as in the same three ways that I mentioned factors as a tactical play. You can use it as a strategic exposure. Like you think, for example, technology is not here to you know go away and we're going to benefit from changes in technology for the long term. Well, maybe you buy a small sleeve of a, of a technology sector ETF. And so it's kind of the same thought process. It's just it's a bit more direct, whereas a factor, you're still getting some sector diversification also, but you're getting you're focusing on certain on certain 
uh, types of stocks. But um, I think it has a place in portfolios. Uh, it's not something that we, uh, you know, have, we don't have sector ETFs here at Fidelity, but it is something I think that's uh, fairly widely used and, and, and can be, it can be uh, interesting to do for sure. Final thoughts on the ETF space. We have seen the ETF market do really well over the last few years. Do you expect that to continue? Could we see you know another record-breaking month of inflows or another record-breaking year? What are your kind of you know how optimistic are you on the space going forward? Yeah, I mean, if we look at what's happened in the U.S. and we tend to always kind of lag what's happened in the U.S. Right? It's unfortunate. Well, I mean, we're innovative in certain ways. Like we have a spot Bitcoin ETF, they don't. Okay, well, you know, but in in a sense, from a trend perspective. Uh, we've got some catching up to do on certain things. And I think those themes might materialize more this year, which one of them is more active and more thematic, uh, right? So high active share going away from, and this is from a product launch perspective, from an inflows perspective. I think we're going to see more going into these kind of satellite position type ETFs because there's so much assets already in those core broad ETFs. Um, that's not to say that they're not going to continue to garner assets, right? Because if you have a client and you know the, your main ETF that you use is to say a core S&P 500 ETF and they give you some new money to invest, well, they're still going to go into that, right? But from a new innovation perspective, I think it's going to be a year for active. And I definitely think the ETF industry as a whole is, is going to be fine. I don't think January is a sign of things to come. Great. Uh, Etienne, we'll leave it there. Um, thank you so much for this. Uh, looking forward to see where the years goes and I'm sure we'll chat again soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.